for those who don't know us, Rose and I, um, hi, Rose. Okay. We uh, live in the North Country where it snows. And we also used to live in Houston. So it's kind of nice. We have two sons, two daughters-in-laws, and six grandchildren here. So we get to escape the snow and kind of be snowbirds, although we don't like that terminology, and come down here for three months every year. So this is our church. And yes, I am a real live pastor. I was able to pastor a church in the Houston area for a while and several other churches. I had some mission field experience. Rose and I served as missionaries for 11 years. When we first were in ministry, then I pastored churches and worked with some training of pastors. In the last 14 years, I returned to the mission field and worked with another training organization. So we've had broad experience, and uh, but more than anything, we're grateful to be here. And not only do we have fam- uh, immediate family here, Rose's sister lives here. And so we get to hang out with her and her family too, so there's lots of reasons. But we're not here today to talk about us or our family. These, uh, in the next few, last few weeks, in the next few weeks, we're kind of gearing up to enjoy the celebration, kind of a weird word for it, but of Christ's death and resurrection. We've been saying, okay, as this comes down the line, what difference does that make in our lives? Beside the forgiveness that we receive, it better change the way I act and live as a person. So we talked about unity in the body of Christ, how we live united. We talked about hope and our future. We talked about vision. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount in areas like prayer and forgiveness. And today it's been mentioned several times we're going to talk about uh, service, the whole area of service. Now, the slide will be up in a moment. Oh, there's another one they're going to talk about life as expected. I think that one's going to be up in just a second. I notice something that Pastor Greg does. It frustrates me. He writes an outline of everything he's going to say, the key points. We all follow along in a bulletin, right? Or we make little notes. He often has three or four points. A few words, and then he leaves it blank. You know, I want to, I'm an achiever, so I want to fill in those blanks before he gets there. I'm never right. He always has a little twist to it. So I didn't want to frustrate anyone today. We're going to start out is WGSTMT. What God says to me today. That's it. You write down any notes about what God's... There will be no other words you have to worry about. That will be it. If you prefer Spanish, and I've preached in Spanish many more times than English, lo que Dios me dice hoy, what God says to me is today as well. So in either language or another language that I don't speak, feel free to put that down, and please don't be frustrated. Now... The message today, if you have your Bibles, and it will be up on the screen as well, turn to Mark chapter 10. 
We'll be looking at verses 35 to 45. We'll be reading those in a minute, and we'll be rereading them as we preach the message. Jesus is only probably about two weeks away from his death, and he's walking down the road with his disciples, along with hundreds of other people who are gathering in the capital city. These are broad roads. Obviously, people are walking and taking horses and other things, but a lot of people are with them. And I picture this. Maybe he's underneath a tree. Maybe he stopped to rest. Maybe they just gather around him as they're walking, and someone comes up to Jesus with a request. By the way, he has just predicted. He's just said for the third time. He's instructed his disciples and those others who are traveling with him that this trip will lead to his death. They have great hopes that he's going to be this political savior. He said, no, no, no. The first time he did it, a few months before, one of his lead disciples, Peter, came up to him and says, no, let it never be. And Jesus had to turn to him and say, get behind me, Satan, because I have a bigger story. The second time he announced his death, it started a controversy among the disciples about who was the greatest. And this is the third time, and it sparks a request from two young men, maybe 20 and 17. We don't know exactly the ages who are following him. So let's read in God's Word together the request of James and John. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who was, by the way, a pretty rich man. They had some influence came to him, teacher, said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? We can. Answered, and Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, ten refers to the other ten disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I entitled this message, uh, Life is Expected. That's kind of the way it is. Ever since we've been probably kindergarten or before, we've kind of known life is that way. 
You kind of work to get ahead and someone else pushes the way in front of you. It's not about serving. It's about being served. It's about me. It's a focus on me. And it's the things I want and how I'm going to get them. And as we get older, we just get a little more subtle at it. We get a little better at it. It's happened to all of us. Sometimes we've been on the side of the one who's, you know, having to serve. Other times we're on the side of the one, yeah, who gets served. And so it, it works that way. And it, it's subtle. Sometimes it's not so bad. It's kind of the hierarchy of life. Sometimes it gets rather abusive and rather disgusting. We've all been on both sides of it. I'm not telling you anything new. We've known that little cycle and that way of acting and being since we've been kids. Nothing shocking, really. And uh, if you were to preach this message, this isn't a complicated message in many ways. Wouldn't you kind of say the same thing? Would you say, okay, pretty easy here, not the way we should be. We should serve. Yeah, okay. It's a little more complicated than that. First of all, it's interesting to know that Mark tells the same tells a story, but so does Matthew. The same story is told in the Gospel of Matthew, but with a little bit of a different twist. It actually was the mother of James and John who came to her two sons and said, Hey, Jesus is talking about his death. They probably didn't understand it. Looks like things are coming to a culmination. Now's the time to ask for these positions of honor. It's kind of those who know kind of the history of the Bible and some of the details know that James and John, they had a nickname. They're called the Sons of Thunder. And you wonder why some people, well, it's their personality. They must have been really thunderous type of guys. Well, maybe it's their dad. I think it was their mom. She was after the good life and wanted it that way. And I, I think it's interesting. They use the word teacher with Jesus. They say, teacher. Rabbi in uh, you know the parlance and the local vocabulary, which is a powerful, it was a word that meant you, know, you are the one who really is in charge of our life. We've dedicated our lives to you for these three years. Anything you say worked for us. It was a strong and powerful word, a word meant to impress. Say, Rabbi, we want you to do anything we ask for. What are their exact words? We want you, we want you to do whatever we ask. As a teacher, as a parent, you've probably heard those same words before. Hey, Mom, can you do something for me? Hey, Dad, can you? It's always, what would you like? <laughs> We're not going to fall into that trap of promise. Oh, sure, whatever you want, I'll do. So Jesus says, what would you like? And then they make this interesting request. You know, at least they had faith. At least they had, they wanted these positions of power At least they were thinking that Jesus was going to make it, but they were misunderstanding a lot. Jesus answers in kind of an interesting way. He says, can you be baptized with a baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And can you you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Euphemisms, word for suffering. We, We get that. Okay, we get that Jesus is on his way, and we who know the rest of the story know that indeed Jesus was going to suffer. Why does he use two words? What's the difference between baptism and drinking a cup? I'm convinced that baptism is what is done to us. A cup is what we take ourselves and drink. 
Jesus did both. He purposefully took the cup of suffering from his father, our sake, and he drank it. But also people did horrible things to him, and he chose suffering but also was a victim of suffering. We too, in our own lives, look at ourselves. Some of us have chosen suffering in the sense of service, maybe service to another person. We've said, you know, I'm going to go into this position or into this job, or sometimes just in life, we say, you know, I'm going to steward. I'm going to be a good, responsible person as I suffer. And as I, Others of us, a disease or a difficulty or a tough relationship or a tough, and it's forced, if you want to say forced, but in both cases, we have to know how to handle them well as Jesus did. And he responds, yeah, you two indeed will. And we know that's the case. James, the very, maybe 10 years or maybe even less after Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit, the very first of the apostles to be martyred. He was killed. He was beheaded. The very first one. He suffered in prison for Jesus. Forced upon him was a baptism, but he chose to follow. He drank that cup too. John suffered greatly throughout his life in many ways and was the only one of the apostles who died a quote-unquote peaceful death, but on a prison island later in life. They did. They did suffer. Those words probably came back to haunt them. So, who are those places reserved for? What do you think? Pastor Greg, are you going to be on the right? It's got to be Pastor Greg, right? He's the pastor. Billy Graham. He's got to be up. Mother Teresa on the left. What, was it? what do you think? What curriculum vitae do you need in order to be on the right and left of Jesus? You know what I think? And I think this is biblically correct. On the right and the left of Jesus are going to be his favorites. Tim's going to be there, and I'm going to be there. And you're going to be there, and every single one of us who Jesus looks down on and says, that person needs me. I'm sorry, folks. Jesus loves me, and he died for me if I were the only one, he did it. You too. Don't ever leave this place thinking you're less than. The Son of God shed his blood for you. That incredible promise, if we see his grace, he doesn't have favorites. I'm his favorite, I guess he does. All of us, everyone who has come to him, Never will he cast him out. And he knows us. He knows my weakness. He knows my frame. He knows, And he says, Gary, come. Sit with me. He even says in Revelation, knock at the door, open it. I'll come in and I'll eat with you. That's the promise of the gospel. So what are the requirements? You've got to know Jesus. What a blessing. What a joy. The other ten disciples that hear about this, 
Why do you think they were indignant? Why do you think they were mad? <laughs> Probably because they didn't ask first. You know, man, he just might give it to them. Or, or maybe they just thought it was an inappropriate. It was, it was an inappropriate request. Are you kidding me? I would be ticked off too. I mean, you know, if somebody asked for a raise when they're just the new worker or however you want to put it in our terms today, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then Jesus does this amazing thing. He says four of the most crucial words, I think, in the Christian experience. Not so with you. N-S-Y, N-S-W-Y, N-S-W. If I were, you know, remember years ago they had the WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do, little bracelets. If I were more creative, I think we would put the what would Jesus, not just the what would Jesus do, we'd put not so with you. May that define us as a people of God. We are the not so with you people. We know the rules of society. We know life is expected. Jesus says, yep, the political people lord it over. They command us to do things, and we better do it, and they do it. Those who we consider, that are considered themselves, or are considered, you know, the rich and the famous and the powerful, they lord it over the rest of us, but not so with you. I want to have a little picture up there. There's a picture that popped up before. There it is. 35, let's see if I do the math. 19, no, about 32 years ago, that's me. In a white Dodson back in the day, Nissan, four-wheel, no, not four-wheel drive, four-cylinder diesel pickup truck. You think it's loaded with people? It's not. You should have seen the next stop. That poor truck suffered. Now, what is this about? We were in southern Honduras on the mission field. It was an amazing time. Almost every time I preached, people came to receive Christ as Savior. There's an area of cooperatives, small farming communities, And I was told the gospel had never been preached there, but somebody moved into those cooperatives who was a believer and got a hold of us. Long story short, there's about 20 of these small villages. Every time I'd preach in a village of six or eight or ten homes, 25, 30 people there, two, three, four, seven, sometimes the whole village would receive Christ. An amazing time. In southern Honduras where we lived at that time, people were becoming Christians right and left. I couldn't go there every week. I could only go once a week. And I'd go with my truck. Everybody from one village, one small farming community, a few miles down the road was another. We'd pile in and we'd have a mass service. Sometimes 200 people would be there. I'd make three or four trips to the truck. Other people would walk in. I had to assign leaders to every one of those areas where a small house church was being formed. How did I find a leader? I looked for servants. In the back of that truck, it was nasty, hot, humid, and dusty. In the inside, we crowded 10 people. I looked to see 
those who willingly could be in first or got out of the truck and let somebody else sit in there and sat on the back. That was the leader I was looking for, a man or a woman who served another person. What would you have done? I have to say, I probably would have tried to stay. I don't know. I'm not sure. But in the blessing of the kingdom of God, that's the not-so-with-you people we have to be. It's not all positive stories. When I was pastoring a church in Indianapolis, we had a small Bible study in somebody's home. Somebody had lost their driver's license through a DUI. For some reason, I couldn't bring them home. I asked the person who was hosting the Bible study, hey, i got to go early tonight. Would you mind bringing Joe down the street about five minutes to his house after the Bible study? He did it. But the next day I got a phone call and I got an earful. How dare I impose on his time and his car to such an extent that he could bring? And I thought, wow. All of it exists in God's kingdom. You know what? All of it exists in me too. There are times that I am the most selfish guy in the world. There are other times I'm not bad. But I have learned something, my brothers and sisters, over the years. I have learned, I am convinced that the servanthood that Jesus calls us to is actually his grace. Because I become self-absorbed and self-centered, maybe you do too, unless I'm constantly taking advantage of these opportunities the Lord lays out before me. When I do, I see his blessings, and I learn, and I say, Lord, thank you for the joy of service. It's all his grace. It's all his blessings. He's got things he wants. He'll accomplish them one way or another, through me or through somebody else, through you or through somebody else. But every day he has assignments for you to serve him, to serve his people, to serve somebody else, to be a blessing to your kids, to be a blessing to your parents, to be a blessing to your husband, to your wife, to serve somebody in a specific little way. Maybe it's a cup, maybe it's a baptism, but in some way to serve somebody. That is the life we are called to do as Christians. And I always just use a little shorthand for it. To be a good servant, you have to be humble. You have to be humble. You have to say, you know what? I'm not going to put myself first. I'm going to put that, even though I don't deserve it, I'm going to put that other person first. You have to be useful. It has to be something practical. It has to be something. It can't just be someday I'm going to do. It can't be a theoretical thing you think about. This is not ethereal up in the cloud stuff. This is specific, practical things we do. Humble, useful, and obedient. That's what a servant is. If a servant isn't those three things, I don't want them around. That's what I want to be in a, as, a, as a good employee and as a good employer. I want to see someone who's humble, who's useful, and obedient. And as a servant, let's be that as obedient to the Lord. Obviously, there has to be certain boundaries, and we can't, we know that, but that's who I want to be as a servant. Now, 
That's the first part of the message. We have a second part and a third part coming. They're both short. Don't worry. Nobody panic. The second part takes it to a deeper level. That last verse, because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And how does it end? And give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was the perfect example of that. The perfect example. He served his whole life. Tired, hungry, you name it, you read the Gospels, all Jesus did was serve. But he did something even greater than that. He gave his life as a ransom for many. The ultimate act of servanthood. But there's an interesting twist here. When he uses the word ransom, what does that say about us? It says that we're the captives. We've been kidnapped by somebody. He's paying a price for us. This goes beyond servant. I can't serve that way. In the Roman world, in the Jewish world, it wasn't uncommon. If a person couldn't pay their debts, they became a servant or they became a slave. 50% of the world were servants. But you could have your freedom bought by a family member that came into money or someone who sold or someone who really cared for you. You could be bought. You could be redeemed. You could be rescued. The ransom could be paid. Jesus uses a strong word. He says to every one of us, we're broken, we're captive, and I've come to set you free. He's done it for me, folks. I still got a ways to go. I ask him every day to continue to ransom me. But boy, we got to call on him. If you haven't done it the first time, do it. Say, I need some. We know we're broken. We know, you know, we can be, we know we, we can be decent. We've got some twisted and sad elements in it. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you came and did something nobody else could do. You could give your life as a ransom for many, and that many includes me. And I hope and I pray everyone here. If not, now's your day. <laughs> you know, say, Lord, rescue me, ransom me. May your death and your life pay that price and give me that freedom. And your life will change. That's the gospel. One final thing. In your programs or your bulletins, you have this little sheet of paper. I have to say, uh, I'm not really one that likes sermons that don't have action plans with them. This is not an assignment. I'm not that kind of teacher. This is an action plan. I want you to do something. And if you do, you don't have to do it. There may be a test next week. We'll see. I'll probably wander around the church, and you'll probably try and avoid me. I'll probably say, did you do it? I've got a few things for you to do. First thing, memorize Philippians 2, verse 3. Philippians 2, verse 3. You want to hear it in Spanish or English? Nada hagáis por contiendo vanagloria, antes bien con humildad, estimando cada uno de los demás 
a como superiores a él mismo. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider the other better than yourself. I want you to memorize that. Make that a part of who you are. Secondly, have some fun with the Bible. Romans 12, 9 to 21, if you think the Bible isn't intelligible, that is the most practical set of instructions in the whole Bible. Go read it through. Spend a few minutes just read it. Say, wow, what can I do in this particular way? What a beautiful, just take a six, eight minutes to read that through. Think about it. Read it through. You will feel good about following the Lord. And finally, and I'll give you one minute to do it here, and I'll do it too. What specifically will you do this week to serve someone? When will you do this act of service? And what do you anticipate will be the results? One minute to do it. Write it down. And let's find out next week what happened. I've got somebody in mind myself. I don't have my ink pen with me, but I'm going to actually do this. I know exactly who i got to serve. Rosemary, you know that person too. His name is John, right? One minute, folks. We'll pray and we'll conclude the message today. All right. I hope you've written it down. If not, you can, you know, take some time later, write it down. I don't like a sermon that's only in theory. Let's serve and see what the Lord does. People of God, let's stand. Let's pray together and dedicate this time of study of his word to him. Heavenly Father, um, I'm grateful for Jesus. I'm grateful for this beautiful passage in Mark that um, grabs a hold of us and says, uh, you know, first of all, thank you for rescuing us, for paying that price, for making me your special one. Thank you for that incredible price you paid, dying for me, if I were the only one, giving me new perspectives and new life. Help me to manage well the sufferings, the baptisms, and the cups you've given me. Help me be the person of not so with you. Thank you for the example that you've given us. And thank you, uh, most of all, for being our Redeemer. We celebrate you and we thank you. Help us to fulfill these plans. 
in your name and see you work through them. In Jesus we pray. Amen.